This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Mantoy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. On the lineup, he pitches. Adamas launches one way up into the air into left field. This one's got a chance. Turning Benintendi, Willie Adamas. With his first big league hit, it's a home run against Chris Sale. Here's your host, Neil Solons. And hi, everybody. Welcome to our first show of 2019. We're at the Rays Radio Studio across from Gate 1 here at Tropicana Field, getting set for the last of four between the Rays and Astros. If you're new to the program, it really is a unique and in-depth look at all things Rays. On today's program, we're going to sit down with the Rays' ace and reigning Cy Young Award winner, Blake Snell. Dave and Andy, as well as Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun, will look at his first weekend of play, and we'll visit with now Astros TV voice Todd Callis, Hear from Eric Neander, the Rays' Senior Vice President and General Manager, on his expectations for the season and much more. We start, though, with highlights from the week gone by. Thursday, the Rays were looking to end Houston's string of winning six straight on opening day, and Tampa Bay got off to a terrific start. Here's a swing and a fly ball to the left field, fairly deep. Brantley going back to the track at the wall, and it's gone! Austin Meadows with a leadoff home run to start the 2019 season. And the Rays take a one nothing lead here on the bottom of the first. Unfortunately, that lead only lasted a couple of innings as Houston also hit the long ball. Comes Springer, lifts one in the air into deep center field. Kiermaier heading back to the track. He is at the wall, and it is a three-run homer for George Springer. He is homered on three consecutive opening days, and the Astros take a 3-1 to lead. Houston eventually would hit two more home runs and beat Tampa Bay on opening day by a score of 5-1. Now Friday, the Rays looked to even the series in the debut of Charlie Morton in a Rays uniform. Against his most recent club, Morton allowed two runs in the third, but then Tampa Bay answered. The 0-2. Breaking ball looped into center field. That's going to get down for a hit, and it's going to score a couple. Zanino scores. Tommy Pham around third. He will score. Another two-out, two-run RBI single by G-Man Choi. And the Rays have a 3-2 lead. From there, the Rays did not trail. Yandy Diaz added a bullet home run to center field. Morton went five innings. The bullpen threw four scoreless and a 4-2 win. Tampa Bay's first victory of the new season. And then yesterday, Tampa Bay turned to Tyler Glass now. Now after a tough spring, Glass now impressed, throwing five innings, allowing just one run on an Alex Bregman homer. And right before Glass now departed, the Rays rallied, making sure he was rewarded for a job well done. Perez loops one into right field. That's going to get down for a hit and give the Rays the lead. Kiermaier around third. He will score on the RBI single by Michael Perez. And the Rays, with some more two-out RBIs, take a 2-1 to lead. The Rays got two hits. That RBI and a run scored from Michael Perez in the ballgame. The Rays now have five two-out runs in this series. Perez also did a great job with the staff. Tampa Bay held the Astros to a single run in a 3-1 win. The bullpen now has thrown 11 scoreless innings over the first three games. And the Rays can win the opening series with a victory today in that four-game series finale. Hey, the Rays Rookies Kids Club, presented by Outback Steakhouse, has returned for 2019 for just $10. Kids receive a ticket to every Sunday home game, a Rays snapback hat, exclusive offers, and a ticket to a Tampa Bay Rowdies home match. You can sign up now at RaysBaseball.com slash RaysRookies. You are listening to the first edition this season of This Week in Rays Baseball. Coming up, my conversation with the Rays ace and reigning Cy Young Award winner in Blake Snell, what was the biggest reason he truly signed an extension? Hint, it wasn't yours truly. Find out the answer in a moment, and thanks for being with us on the Rays Baseball Network. 
We continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our feature guest in our first program was the opening day starter for the first time in his major league career and a reigning Cy Young Award winner. It's Blake Snell. Blake, thanks very much for a few minutes. Thanks for having me, Neil. Um, First, let's start. What are you going to take away? What are you going to remember from opening day, moments that maybe stuck out for you? Yeah, just uh, the support that we had, uh, the excitement with the teammates, uh, the excitement with myself. I mean, there's a lot to remember, but... I mean, even the game. It was a game that I learned a lot from. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think everyone on the team was very excited for that day. And uh, we're all looking forward to, to what we're going to accomplish this year. But it was just a day that all of us really enjoyed, even though we lost. Um, it, it was cool for everyone, the fans, the players. It was a good atmosphere. Was the preparation on the day of any different? A lot of guys always talk about, you know, you are waiting a little bit longer. Guys are taking the lines. I know you're in that right field corner kind of watching what's going on too. Is, is it different and, and how different if so? Uh, not really. Uh, you you got to prepare. You find a way to make it happen. Uh, I felt good, so um, preparing was not the issue for me. This is a, a big weekend overall, not only the opening day start, but the, the bobblehead too. What'd you think? Yeah, no, I think it's cool. Um, I, I like seeing a little dinosaur that got out there. The Snellzilla inflatable, that's sick. Um, but no, I'm excited for the bobblehead. I think it's cool. I think it's unique. I like how they put the city behind it. Um, yeah, it's, it's very cool. Uh, I'm a fan of it. I'm a fan of everything the Rays have done to, to really promote that. So I think it's awesome. I think the fans enjoying it as much as I am, I think that's amazing as well. Will you get that? Will you try and get one of those uh, inflatables at your home? Or? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's definitely going to happen. That inflatable is sick. Well, obviously, I mean, a big part is how much you've meant to this organization, but also recently signing the extension, too. When you look back on that day and that moment, what did it mean to you? What did it mean to your family? Yeah. um, I mean, my family's pretty excited about it. Uh, I was excited about it, but I don't don't think I feel any different from it, honestly. I'm still going to continue to work, be the best player I can be. Uh, I'm going to invest all of it, so I'm not even going to act like I have it. Um, I bought a car, and I buy a house, and... That'd be about it. And then after that, it's all invested, and I just focus on ball. I know the first question was, or one of the first questions was, hey, what are you going to do with it? But I know how close you are to your family. Is there anything in particular you want to do for your family after getting an opportunity like that? Yeah, down the road. Right now, it's uh, it's not enough to do anything, but um, definitely down the road, next couple years, I'll help them out a lot. So. What have they meant to your development? I know you've had a, a kind of joking thing about your mom and the phone calls, and the, but but I know how much they have meant to you. And your brother, too, he was your twin who was here opening day. Yeah, no, they're, they're all uh, very important. I mean, family is everything to me. And from a baseball standpoint, I go to my, my older brother, Drew, and I go to my dad for everything with that. But then anything else that deals with life, I go to my mom and I go to my, my twin brother and my younger brother. I go to my younger brother a lot for life help which is crazy because he's young. He's 18, about to be 19, but very smart, been through a lot. Um, and, I, and I always trust his opinion, but I, I feel like I'm very lucky to have three brothers that I can count on and my mom and dad who are very different but awesome in different ways, which I love. And a close circle of friends, too? I mean, you've always talked to how you've had, what, the same group of buddies since high school, pretty much? Yeah. Uh, I've had one that I met in pro ball. And then uh, three that have just been lifelong friends, and that's really it. I don't see any point in investing into people that I feel won't last forever. And I guess that also allows for a level of trust, too, when you need an opinion. Yeah. If I really need to get set straight, I just ask Snyder. Because I'm with him every day. So Kyle's like my, my dad away from my dad, which is awesome. Because our relationship is strictly based off of trust and uh, we tell each other what we need to hear, and that's on both ends, and we both know that. And we never have t- taken it personal, and I, and I love that about him is that I can be me whenever I want around him, and he's going he's gonna to set me straight if I'm ever not doing what I should be doing, which is awesome. When you agreed to extend for five seasons, how much of his value and what he's brought to you was a part of your decision? A thousand percent. <laughs> like, he's everything to me, so... 
Um, I stayed knowing that he'd be my pitching coach and knowing that I was very comfortable with that and confident in my decision. And also, the team's really good and we're only getting better and we're young and that helped a lot too. But me working with Kyle, that's that's everything to me. That was I really based that a hunt like most of it was on me working with Kyle because I know with him I can be the best me possible. Blake Snow with us on this week in race baseball. When did that trust? exist further when did you really say hey this is my guy well 2011 i met him and i was kind of laughing because i was like uh i was like this guy's tall and goofy and i didn't know what to really think and then um yeah and then 2013 bowling green we had we were back and forth learning from each other and then i really i was really excited about that and then that's when we really started to figure each other out trust each other and then from that point on yeah, we just took off, and our relationship only got stronger. And once I got to AAA and saw him there, that's when it was like, yeah, it was solid, solid. Is this almost now like your second home? Um, I mean, I know how important Seattle area is to you. Yeah, Seattle is everything to me, but this is the next best thing for me, uh, feeling like home. I'm comfortable. I know the area. And I know everywhere that I can go that I want to go. And, yeah, this is about as close as I'll ever get to Seattle feeling like home it's pretty clear chatting with you that you're still very very grounded and still very much you know that there's a, a kind of a sense of of nothing's changed for you in fact the fact that you went out and coached and helped out volunteering with high school hoops i think says a lot about you when did you start doing that and why do you do that yeah um i started doing it because i know when i'm done playing i want to i want to be a coach i want to help kids and i always told my like dad i always said like i want to coach i want to do this when i'm done blah 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 and then he said why can't you do it now you come home and you could coach the basketball team so by talking to him i just called the high school coach he was a new coach and i just said can i can i help coach like i really want to and uh he said yeah sure that'd be great got into it and then i liked it i just like and then i started learning like they helped me more than i helped them because i realized wow like it's completely different like the way they think the way they act the way they practice the way they play in the game when they don't get results the way they act and like then being able to like kind of help them and reflect and be like i have all of these experiences hopefully this can help you with your experience and I think the hardest part was getting them to trust me in the way that I know basketball. They're like, you play baseball. And I'm like, okay. So I play them one-on-one, and I would say, I know everything you can do, and I don't even have to try. And then I think once they saw I could actually play, then they realized, okay, I can probably trust what he's saying. But that's just why I tell them, watch the game. You'll learn. Just watch the NBA. Watch the NBA. Watch the NBA. That's how I learn. So who's your game like? <laughs> My game, Ray Allen, what's up? <laughs> no, I just like to shoot threes, but I don't I don't really even know who mine was. My, I mean, my favorite player growing up was Brent Berry, so I'll say Brent Berry. He had a nice shot. He could do it all. I liked him. So I know you like to play video games, so if you're playing like NBA 2K, and I don't know how much you even play that, but who's what team do you, do you always, who do you pick now? Oh, I don't play NBA as much. I play like my created player, and I don't have to pick a team. Uh, but I'll stick with Golden State only because my favorite player is Kevin Durant. So wherever he goes, that's my team. Like, that's kind of what I told myself. And then when he's done playing, I'm, like, hoping Seattle will have a team by then so I don't have to, like, be teamless for too long. But I got University of Washington, so that holds me over pretty well. Yeah, I know you're a big fan of uh, of the university over there. And, you've, you, yeah, you represent quite well. Uh, so we see, yeah, I see you in your locker. You Foster, got that jersey. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I love University of Washington. It's everything to me. We touched on, on video games there. You're kind of like old school with what you've done. The fact that you're on Twitch really allows you to connect with kids in a way that maybe back in the day guys could connect with the players who lived in their neighborhood. Do you realize you're doing that? Uh, well, I noticed that. I mean, I started Twitch to connect with fans because I felt like people don't understand me and, like, kind of person I am because here I'm very, like, quiet, focused. This is my job. And it's hard to be, like, serious and goofy at the same time, um, at least when the game's going on. Um, and that's when they're going to see me. So... I did Twitch just so people could see, like, I'm actually different. What up, Oz? So, uh, just so they could see a different side of me. 
And the your name, classically famous, how'd you pick it? You didn't pick it before you became a player, though. No, I had that game attack since, like, ninth grade. So I just kept it, and, yeah, I just didn't switch it. But I've had that since I was, like, a ninth grader. And I don't know how I thought of it. I was in ninth grade. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Is there an interaction that you've had with a fan through Twitch that stands out? And if so, what? what stands out because I've seen you chatting with a lot of different kids about a lot of different things through that yeah not one stands out I think it's just cool that a lot of people can go there and like there's it's like a support system like it's already like growing to be like a little family uh and every time I stream I, I do realize like a lot of people get pumped up about it and excited and I think that's the cool part like I can make people's days and I can have people looking forward to it and very excited that like that's their little thing they're going to do every day um it's a lot tougher during the season I haven't even touched the Xbox in like a week nor will I probably for a while just because the season's here I got to focus up but off season maybe on an off day or something I'll get into it but I got to focus on baseball Fortnite is still your game of choice or I'll play a lot of MLB to show I'll play like a lot more MLB to show I think that's pretty cool but Fortnite is my go-to you know I was curious about this too since you do play that game what's your uh who, who's the toughest guy to try and pitch to in that game I don't know yet I gotta I gotta figure that out I don't even know what team I was playing I think I was playing the Mariners I'll go Tim Beckham because that's my dog <laughs> Matt Duffy told me something interesting last year. He said when he struggled in a ballpark, he actually played in that ballpark a lot in the game, and it made him feel comfortable in that park. Could you see yourself doing that, and do you think mentally that actually the game can actually help? 100%. I think that, that plays 100%. So I think that's cool. I think I really do believe it plays like 100%. I've played the game and then gone and pitched the game after playing it, and it like taught me up and in fastballs really do work. And, like, throwing sequences like that I want to throw in the game and seeing how they play out in a video game that's based off of factual stats by these players is amazing because it's kind of like a way for you to actually like visualize it so I can see that working one thing that I think has stood out for you as we watch you grow is a accountability but b also the fact that you're also pretty darn honest the fact that you said I think before your first start hey I want to be a hall of famer I don't want to be just good for one year when did when did that actually enter your mind for the first time? It's been in my mind for probably like three years now, but I couldn't like say it as confidently as I want to, like I am now, just because I had to like I don't know. I felt like I couldn't say a lot coming up being a rookie. Like a lot of people can say, "Oh, I want to be a Hall of Famer," and then like this kid. And for me, I wanted to just I don't know. I just kind of let it out. I just just like I said it, but I say it a lot to myself. So. That's kind of like my motivation to like never get complacent, never get comfortable because this game's hard as hell and the competition that we got to face every day is going to be tough. It's the best of the best, but I want to keep pushing myself to be the best and I think that's something that I can reach and I think it's a goal that you can't stop until three years after you're done playing and you have a shot to be a Hall of Famer uh, happens, but for me... Well, how many years does it take after? Like five, ten, five? I said three. I was like, that doesn't even sound any cl- like that. Just makes no sense. But yeah, um, it's just something that I, I want, and I feel like I can do it, and I believe it. But it lets me know every day. Like, if you want to be a Hall of Famer, you got to go work. You got to go get. You got to keep going. You can't stop. You can't be all right with one great start or one great season. You have to just keep pushing to be the best you you can be. And I think that's what allows me to not worry about money or anything like that. I'm just so focused on the game. Let's look at then this year only. If this year is good for you and your group, what happens? If this year is good for me and the group, then we get into the playoffs, we make a run, we win the World Series, and then we get to remember this for the rest of our lives. And I think that would be the coolest thing. And I think that's what everyone wants to chase, a World Series, because David Price got a Cy Young. And David Price got a World Series. I bet that World Series felt way better than that Cy Young. And that's all I want to feel is going to the playoffs and really competing and feeling the energy of these guys and the fans. And that's why I signed here. I like being the underdog, and I want to see what that feeling's all about. Well, we look forward to being on the journey with you. We appreciate some time on This Week in Rays Baseball. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. Blake Snell, we continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball as we close out the opening weekend of this 2019 season. Who better to look back upon the first games and look forward with them than 
Dave Andy and also Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun. Morning, guys. How are you? Morning. morning. How are you? Good. Before we get into the first weekend of of games, how about uh, for each of you, starting with BA, expectations that you guys have going into this season? Uh, my expectations are huge. I think that when you, in fact, I got sick and tired of the offseason narrative of uh, you know Yankees, Red Sox. Who's going to win the division? Who's going to get the first wild card? Because I'm thinking to myself, and I know that you know nationally it's never going to be viewed that way, but I believe that this Rays team doesn't necessarily need to be the, one of the teams fighting for wild card number two. I think they can go much higher than that and really surprise the nation, really, at the end of the day, because I don't think they're getting near enough of the respect that they deserve. Now, granted, they don't have star power. They don't have big names at all these different positions and big contracts everywhere. But I think the sum of the parts, the makeup of this team, the versatility, the depth, the hunger, the drive, they are capable, I think, of having a really special season. Well, I, I know Dave and I have talked quite a bit about that our biggest worry of this team was the bullpen. But these first two days, and that doesn't a season make, but Stanek's looked better than I expected. Castillo has looked about as good as I expected through his two innings. Alvarado's looking like a guy that's going to be able to close games out, but it's just three games in. But I know, Dave, that's what we've said. This bullpen could be a drag, but if the Rays are going to win, it's going to have to be very good. Well, and I think we talked to Kevin about it before the game, though, too. It's lined up perfectly each of the last two days, too, Mm -hmm. where Kevin was able to use the bullpen the way he wanted to as opposed to the way he had to, and then the Chaz Rowe slot has really worked out. I mean, that's that's helped. They're kind of a heavy right-handed hitting team. So, you know, the the jury's still out as far as I'm concerned on this bullpen. But, uh, you know what, I think one of the reasons why we're giddy right now is we've taken two out of three. I mean, the narrative, as you said, is uh, B.A. is always about the Red Sox and the Yankees. I started prepping for the series. You start writing stuff down about this Houston Astros team. There's no doubt they're one of the World Series contenders. This team has a great rotation. They've got a very good everyday lineup, especially now with Correa back in the lineup. And their bullpen is pretty darn good, too. So, you know, to be able to take two out of three so far from this team has been pretty impressive because the Astros might be the best team in the American League. And that's what I was going to touch on next. I mean, you guys led into it very well, is is if you're able to win a series today, (laughs) if you're able to win a series today, I know it's just one set, but what would it mean in terms of the big picture? Well, I think when you look at the way that the team started a season ago, it's such an awful start, 4-13, and 13, put a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Now, granted, they were able to recover and still go out and win 90 games, but I think that you know, the focus of this team was to get off to a much better start here in 2019. And you're facing, like you just said, Dave, maybe the best team in the American League, one of the top teams in all of Major League Baseball. They won and you 57 can go out games on the road last year. That's not that's right. not easy to do. Well, no, and that's that speaks to that pitching staff mm-hmm. you're talking of because the pitching, the defense, travel. Um, but, you know, a, a team like that, if you're able to go out and win three out of four, you're going to have a bounce in your step as the Rockies, another, you know, playoff potential team rolls into town. But uh, that kind of a start, young team, anytime you can have a confidence builder early in a season, that's going to last a long time. Wouldn't shock me if the Rockies win the National League West, by the way. I mean, let's not forget how good, in fact, they were last year. Dodgers, what, won seven in a row divisions. But the Rockies rotation may be the best Rockies rotation they've ever had. Yeah. guys, Because these guys don't seem to be freaked out about playing in Coors Field. I mean, Kyle Freeland's been terrific. Herman Marquez from the Rays. Chad Bettis, who's going to pitch tomorrow. So uh, this is really high competition to start. But the the old devil in the details this year might be that the Rays are going to have to bury teams like the Orioles and bury teams like the, uh, the, the Royals or teams that are in rebuild mode, some of the other ones, like the Rangers this year. Last year, and I know, I remember how frustrated Dave was, when the Rays got swept at home against the Chicago White Sox, that was like throw up your hands time. So this team has got to be very good against the good teams, but they're going to have to win a large majority against the rebuilding groups. If this group is to kind of achieve what BA you think they're capable of, what do each of you think are the, the biggest key or keys? I, I, I'm all about pitching and defense. I mean, I look at the, you know, especially the two uh, championship uh, banners up there. You know, we had some nice offenses that were able to hold their own, and I think this offense is going to be able to hold their own. I've been 
Very, very impressed with the acquisition of Tommy Pham going back to he's one of, you know, one of, maybe one of the best two strike hitters that we've had in this organization for a long, long time. I'm excited to see what some of the young guys are going to continue to do, but we're going to have to pitch it and catch it. And uh, that's the only way we're going to be able to close the gap between us and the big boys. We're going to have to have, uh, again, the starters give us when they do make starts, give us some uh, some depth and, and, and give us chances to win those ball games. Our bullpen is going to have to step up. I'm kind of anxious to see maybe a couple of the young guys come uh, maybe June or July if they can come in and help. And then we've got to catch it. I've said this from day one. we got to keep Kevin Kiermeyer on the field. I mean, Kevin is a guy that, uh, you know, again, a lot of people point to his offense and say, well, is he ever going to be better than a 250, 260 hitter? I don't care. As long as he's in center field and can go get it. Uh, I, we're a better team when Kevin Kiermeyer is playing center field. So pitch it and catch it, to me, are still the two biggest keys uh, for this team to get better, to continue to get better because that's how they won 90 games a year ago. Yeah, I, I mean, this team, there, there's a, uh, a renewed focus on those two uh, aspects of the squad, no question, and that needs to be cleaned up, uh, and they need to be solid in that. Uh, those departments all season long. For me, it's it's maintaining focus, and, and it goes, Andy, to what you were talking about. You know, you can make a case that almost half of the American League, quite frankly, is tanking. Yeah. I, I mean, when you look at, at the Blue Jays and the Orioles in the in the Rays division, you look at uh, the White Sox, the Royals, the Tigers, uh, the Texas Rangers, um, you know, Seattle Mariners, although they're off to a really good start, an impressive start. Uh, those are the games you have to maintain focus for six months, no days off. I mean, none whatsoever. We've seen that in the past. We've seen uh, the, the years where the Rays would play the top of the American League East so very tough, and then the American League Central would own them. That cannot happen. You've got to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, uh, and that's going to be the difference in, you know, what's going to be a very tight race. Is, is that hard to do? I mean, you've been on championship teams before. Is it hard to keep it when you're playing no. uh, different teams? It, it's it's not, but it, but it has the tendency to happen. It's each and every day when you have a lot of youth, mm-hmm. it can happen. Things can get a little sideways. You can take series for granted. You can roll into Detroit, and it's the Tigers and – you know they've lost seven of eight and we're going to handle these guys you know and i think that that's where some of the veteran leadership you know a guy like charlie morton they brought in a guy like tommy fan he's not going to put up with that kind of whatsoever uh they will keep these guys locked in and focused but because it it can happen i mean it's if you it's human you know, nature yeah it, it is human nature and especially when you have a, an abundance of youth on, on a team but i think Again, we've talked about the the sprinkling in of the right kind of veterans and a really good makeup of the team. A lot of high-character guys. I don't think that's going to be an issue with the squad. How much, too, can the rotation of players help? Because you see Kevin Kiermeyer's getting a day off today. Tommy Pham had a DH day yesterday. They're basically making sure that they're as fresh as possible throughout the course of the season and, and not burning guys out from month to month to month. In particular, when they're on the turf for as long as they are. This is, what, seven games at home. After the road trip, the Rays are going to have uh, three, six, nine games at home. So in particular, these these home stands where you've got the turf, and I know the turf is probably the best that turf could be, but it's still not necessarily natural grass. It still is something that can beat you up a little bit. You're diving on it, you're standing on it, you're running on it. So I like to see things changed up. I've been interesting, uh, interested to see what the Rays do defensively. You know, you always look early in the year and you say, okay, we learned yesterday that he'll take Meadows out for defense late in games. We've learned that he'll take Yandy Diaz out for defense late in games. So you put in Robertson and you put it Guillermo Heredia. I, I didn't know that necessarily until that actually happened these first couple of games. So, uh, you know, it's keeping guys fresh. It's keeping your best guys on the team. And like Kevin Cash said yesterday, ho-hum, another tie game in the sixth inning. You know, that's this team plays tight games late. So your defense late in games has to be particularly strong. B.A., Dave, you feel the same on that in terms of the rotation? No, totally totally opposite of what Andy said. I mean, <laughs> that's why I'm sitting in between you two. <laughs> no, it, 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 I mean, that's just – we're, that's how this team is built. We're pitched, you know, we're built around pitching and defense. And you know, it, it's yesterday was a huge start, I think, for Tyler Glass now to maybe hopefully put a lot of the spring training stuff behind and pitch the way that he did. Because um, you know, I think it's a big start today for Yanni Chirinos too. I think you know Yanni's a guy that was very, very intriguing a year ago. We saw some good things from him, but we saw more bad things from him. And I think a guy with that heavy sinker really should be with the defense that this team has, should be a good pitcher for this team. And he's got his, he's just got to have that sinker working because if he doesn't, this Astros team's going to expose him very, very quickly. Yeah, and as far as the rotation goes, you know what I love about it is the fact that each and every night, no matter what lineup that Kevin Cash puts out there, the bench is extremely strong. 
It's strong defensively mm -hmm. for those changes that you were talking about, Andy. And he's got bats coming off that can do damage. And, and when you take one guy out, put another one in, really, the, you hate to say they're almost carbon copies, but there's no drop-off. There really is no drop-off. Um, and so that that is got to be great for Kevin putting this these lineups together and knowing that you know I'm strong everywhere. But you you were on a, some good teams though, where good guys were sitting on the bench. Yeah, I mean that that's going to be a, a juggling act for Kevin. Kevin says there's no pressure, and I think as you mentioned too, I think there's a this is a good group. I, I really do. I think you know again going back to what we added during the offseason, you're always kind of worried about uh, a team that had some great uh, chemistry, which this team did a year ago, and then you see a couple of guys move on that were a big part of. The chemistry but then you were very careful in bringing guys in that had uh, you know again a great reputation with Morton as you said Zanino I mean people were mm -hmm. just raving about each one of those guys and, and the leadership and the and the the niceness that these guys bring to the table and hopefully we'll show some young guys the way I mean uh, you, you know you were a young player you watched veterans you start paying attention to what they do and hey, if these guys are doing it guess what I can do it well Bringing in a guy like Charlie Morton, who's supposed to be and has proven to be one of the nicest guys in Major League Baseball, even the short time we've known him, and then Mike Zanino right up there in that same class. I think it's only helped uh, this Rays uh, this Rays clubhouse because, uh, and that's kudos to Eric Neander and Heim Bloom and all those guys because in this day and age where people talk about analytics and numbers and looking at the computer, they check the heartbeat when they brought these guys in too. And, and I think that's important. What they have taken into account is the way that they're going to run this team and the way that they're going to move guys around. Have a strong bench and a, and a bench that's strong with some young guys is you're going to have to have high character guys who buy in you know if you've got some talented young players that aren't getting the playing time uh, that they feel like they deserve guess what problems can start and so you've got to be careful about what kind of player you bring into a team where you're going to have that kind of movement and turnover and I think they've paid close attention to that not only with the young guys but like you said Dave with the older guys that that have come in to kind of lead the way and obviously El Garcia as a veteran player accepting and not yes. griping that he was not in the starting lineup on opening day may go a long way and you know one other thing too I was thinking about this driving in today imagine if the Rays could win today win three or four against the Astros in a series where Blake Snell did not pitch particularly well, to have the other guys, in a sense, pick him up and still yep. win that series against this kind of team, I know it's just the first weekend of the year, but I think that would be a nice little establishing point for this team that, for Blake, he doesn't necessarily always have to do it all. I think it's well said and uh, good stuff for our listeners to think on. And uh, have a good call today, and we'll have you guys again on real soon. Sounds good. Thank, Thank you, Neil. Neil. You got it. That's uh, Dave Andy and Brian Anderson, of course, from Fox Sports Sun. Before we continue on this week in Rays Baseball, why don't we pause for station identification. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Well, we just spent a lot of time speaking about the Rays team on the field, but beyond an entertaining group of players that started off 2-1, and one, the Rays also have made a number of changes throughout Tropicana Field to make it more fan-friendly. Vice President of Business and Development Bill Walsh oversaw many of the changes, and I asked Bill first about the new area called the Left Field Ledge. Yeah, we're re uh, really excited about the left field ledge. It's a brand new seating area uh, here in left field in the lower bowl. Uh, it brings an entirely new seating product, something really unique to the region here, um, tailor-made for you know, small groups, small businesses, um, half-circle tables of four uh, with in-seat service. Beer and wine is included in your ticket price. It's kind of a premium meet social kind of atmosphere and something totally new to Tropicana Field that we're really excited about. And it takes an area that really hadn't been used and turns it into a social space. Absolutely. It was uh, an area of seats that had been removed when we built the 360 walkway a few years ago and made some renovations to the porch, and it was an underutilized space that we're happy to breathe some new life into. And that's part of an area of the ballpark that you guys have really put a lot into. Um, let's touch on the outfielder and the changes that were made and how it also impacts game day. Sure. The outfielder bar and grill, some fans might know it as the old brew house um, from a few years ago, uh, bringing a full service full-service restaurant concept back to the space um, and it's gonna be open four hours before first pitch this season for all of our evening games so pregame tailgate party happening in that space along with ballpark and rec uh, which a lot of fans know up on the third floor directly adjacent to the porch both those spaces will be open drink specials discounts on food beverage uh, it's gonna be a really fun atmosphere since you mentioned food um, why don't we touch on that as well um, there are 
you, you upgraded the food, obviously, last year. But what are the most significant changes this year, too? Yeah, so we've got some you know great new local partners coming on board. One thing that we've tried to do here at Tropicana Field over the years is just create a food and beverage story around really the best that Tampa Bay has to offer. So we've got some some great returning partners um, you know, coming back to the lineup, so to speak, for this season. And we're adding some new ones as well. Pacific Counter, uh, right from Central Avenue in downtown St. Petersburg. We've got um, Krabby's uh, Dockside is coming in, or uh, Beachside Hospital. Hospitality, uh, and they uh, they're having a great new concept in one of our food halls with some. Um awesome fried seafood that you could find out at the beaches really delicious uh, and we've got sweet stack shack coming in as well uh, with some homemade uh, ice cream sandwiches which are also really delicious and great for the kids and it sounds like you guys have just kind of added to the variety in terms of what's going to be here absolutely we're trying to really um, you know put an upscale spin on the food and beverage experience here at the same time making things that are fun that are affordable family friendly and things that you can walk around with and eat at a ballpark is most important and really we want people to come and experience the best of Tampa Bay when they come to Tropicana Field. And obviously it also looks a lot brighter here in the ballpark too. Touch on the lighting because I, I do think that's a significant upgrade. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. I think, you know, fans are going to notice a difference just in the, you know, the, the brightness and the quality of the lighting, but certainly it adds, adds some nice new bells and whistles and some fun effects that we can uh, play with uh, as we get to know and, and learn the system, so to speak. But, um, you know, a lot of effects you might more typically associate with an arena in terms of, you know, dimming or twinkling or different different colored lights and fun fun different effects that we can do before after and even during the game and some of the overall look of the ballpark also has changed what's the biggest change that it's occurred yeah so really over the last two years it's a, a two-year you know multi-phase 15 million dollar renovation project this is you know the second year of that effort and you know when fans come to a, a baseball game now um, they want to get up they want to move around the facility they want to walk around and look at different destinations take the game in from different angles. And Tropicana Field, it's always been a little challenging to do that here. So we've tried to make improvements to how folks get in and out of the building through some reconfigurations of some of our gates. We've got a new wayfinding signage system for folks who may not be that familiar with the building. That's going to make it a lot easier for them to navigate and get around. And overall, it's just a you know an elevation to the fan experience here. Tropicana Field has never looked better, uh, and we're excited about this season. And the other piece of that, too, is while many of us may rely completely on plastic at this point, it is going to be a cash-free ballpark for the first time. It is. We were excited to announce, you know, really the first uh, major sports venue in North America um, just just a few months ago to be uh, cash-free. And it's something we think is, again, going to really improve the fan experience, um, the speed of service in particular. No one likes to wait in lines, right? When you come to the baseball game, you want to, as quickly as you can, you know, get your food, get, get your drink, get back to your seats, you know, socialize with your friends. And we've um, did a lot of testing and a lot of uh, pilot projects on this over the last couple of years and found that going cash-free really does dramatically reduce the speed of service. So, you know, this is all about trying to cut down wait times, uh, reduce lines for fans. At the same time, we do recognize there are people who, you know, may not have access to a credit or debit card who really just strongly prefer to use cash. And that's fine, too. We've got a way that folks can exchange their cash for a raised gift card uh, in any denomination that they want. And um, that way they can, you know, still have that same speed of service at the point of sale. And that is Bill Walsh, Ray's Vice President of Business and Development on the Ballpark Changes. If you haven't been to Tropicana Field this first weekend, well, hopefully we will see you soon to enjoy all the upgrades. You can get in on the action with exclusive on-field seating at the Papa John's Bullpen Box. Host your group of 50 to 85 in this private party area located just steps from the Ray's Bullpen. To reserve the Papa John's Bullpen Box, email group sales at raysbaseball.com or visit raysbaseball.com today. Limited dates remain. Coming up on this week in Rays Baseball, you'll hear from former Rays broadcaster Todd Callis, of course now with the Astros, and Tampa Bay Senior VP and GM Eric Neander. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons, getting you set today for the Rays and Astros, last game of the first series of the 2019 season. Now, one of the neat things about this week was catching up with longtime member of the broadcast crew here and Todd Callis. Of course, he's now the TV voice of the Astros. Had a chance to catch up with Todd and asked him about his favorite opening day of the 19 he spent covering the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, I have to go back to the original, to the 1998. The, the excitement level was at a fever pitch for this entire area to have all those years coming close to get a major league franchise and to finally have it happen. I don't think anything will ever compare to 98. 
I, I know 09 was phenomenal because I got to raise the American League pennant. Unfortunately, I missed that. My dad had just passed away, so I did, didn't make that home opener. Uh, but 98, everything about it, even now watching some of those highlights from the shows that are on Sun Sports, you see all the stuff that and it brings back memories of Wilson Alvarez starting against the Tigers and the first pitch, Richie Garcia behind the plate. And, um, yeah, that was, a, that was it, man. All the flashes that went off for that first pitch in franchise history, it'll be hard to top that one. Does opening day ever get old for you? No, no way. I mean, shoot, I don't even know what I'm up to now. I think this is 27 for me, so not including a year in the minors. So this is a, no, never gets old. Um, there's a certain excitement level that, that you can't create any other day of the season. Everybody starts out pretty much 0-0. Zero and zero. I know two teams played in Japan and they're 1-1, one and one, but everybody starts out with the same, or they're 2-0 and 0-2. And and everybody starts out with the same record for the most part, and there's a, Everybody feels like they're going to the World Series on opening day, so it can, it's the best day uh, other than the postseason. Obviously, in Houston's case, you know the, their goal is to get back there after winning in 17 and, and getting eliminated by Boston last year. How good do you think this version of Houston is? Very good. I thought last year's team was actually better than the World Series team. They just ran into a buzzsaw with the Red Sox, but they won a franchise most uh, 103 games. Uh, a lot of pieces back from that year. Offensively, last year, they, they scored about 100 runs fewer than they did the previous year. Some of that was due to guys not having as good a season. Some of that was due to injury. I, I think Correa and Altuve being hurt for large chunks of the season, especially down the stretch, uh, did not help. And um, other guys other than Alex Bregman did not have the kind of seasons that they had in 2017. So I think the offense, which carried the team in 17, will probably carry the team again in 19. And it's hard to argue with the pitching staff that was first in the bullpen in ERA and has Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole at the top. Three, four, five will look a little different, uh, but I think they're poised to win another AOS title and make it three in a row. Is there anyone, you know, we look from afar and, and it doesn't appear that there's a team that's improved itself so much. I mean, is it kind of Houston and the rest of the field, almost like Cleveland in the Central right now? I think it's slightly different. I would, I would say Minnesota's improved themselves in the Central. I don't think you can say that about any team in the AL West. Uh, the Angels might be a little bit better if they stay healthy. Uh, I, I think the A's had a magical year last year when they won 97 and pushed the Astros to the final week of the year. But, uh, you know, not having Mania for a full season, and things worked out really well for the, for the A's last year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Angels finished second and made a wild card run. A's still could. They're very good. Uh, but if the Astros play just about average to what their expectations are, they should be the, the division winner. Certainly this is a, a real interesting series. Does it still feel at all strange for you coming back here? And if so, how? It does. I was saying to somebody earlier this week, if this was opening day of 2017, that would have been completely bizarre going from the Rays to the Astros and have opening day here at the Trop. But uh, now two years removed, my heart still... Uh, is has a, a big part of my heart here in Tampa, and I still have a home here. My wife and I still spend a lot of time here in the off season. So, uh, coming over here, seeing a lot of familiar faces, that's awesome. I don't know if there could be a, be a better spot for me to start, especially coming off of spring training. Our last telecast was last Wednesday, so I've been in town ever since and just been able to relax and get ready for the season. So, a little bit unusual still coming in here as a visitor, but each year uh, you get a little more used to it. But hopefully, this will be. Uh, the start of what could be two teams that will end up as the five uh, that make the postseason after, after, afterwards. I think we certainly all would take that. And you probably know Charlie Morton, one of the pieces. You know, Beyond you, there are connections now between these two teams and now on the field in, in, in Charlie. How special a guy is he? We, we've obviously enjoyed our first six weeks or so with him. He's very special. He is one of the most unique personalities you'll see in the game of baseball. He listens intently to every question the media has, and he will answer it literally. He will take every question seriously. There's no set answers for Charlie. He will be a thinker. He'll give you exactly what he's thinking and feeling at the time. Uh, he's a completely honest person with the media, with his answers. And, I, you know, all that aside, one of the nicest guys you'll meet in and out of the game of baseball. Now you put him on the mound, he's one of the nastiest pitchers you'll see the Astros will see all year. I'm sure they are not thrilled the fact that they have to start by facing Blake Snell and Charlie Morton the first two games. But Charlie's stuff is nasty. He throws that, that hard down and in sinker at about 96 miles an hour. He's got movement. He's got the great curveball. He you know, can challenge hitters. He'll hit a few batters now and then because he'll, he'll lose command. But he's a guy that's going to be tough 
Uh, that's a tough one-two punch with Snell and Charlie Morton. You're going to love him. There was also another Astros connection. I was happy to see Rodney Linares, uh, AAA manager last year, come over and get a, a major league coaching job for the Rays coming over from Houston. And how much of an influence can Charlie be, do you think, on a young staff? He's, he's not one of those guys that's a, a real leader. He'll lead by example. But he's a guy that all young guys can go up and, and talk to. And he'll, like I said, he'll give you an honest, from the heart, uh, no filter answer. And so whatever wisdom he has gained over the years with Atlanta, Philadelphia, the Astros, he'll try to uh, impart that on the young guys. But he's not a guy that's going to necessarily be aggressive and go over to young guys and say, hey, you should think about this. But he'll certainly be receptive if they come to him. And that's a really good perspective from Todd Callis. Now, of course, in his third year with the Houston Astros, and certainly great to see him learn a little bit more about Charlie Morton, too, who certainly had an impressive first start. Now, I'm sure many of you listening this week have your take on what to expect from the Rays here in 2019. I had a chance to sit down with the senior VP and GM of Tampa Bay, that's Eric Neander, and asked him what excited him most about this group. The opportunity to build upon what we accomplished late last year you know over the month of august september we played really good baseball we won a lot of games we beat a lot of good teams and you know we got to 90 wins Uh, that was the end of our season didn't have an opportunity to play in the postseason that's the goal Uh, but to to have a team that played as well as they did uh, with some of the challenges that they faced throughout the course of last season we're in a position to build on that you know as a young group um, and mostly inexperienced group but they experienced winning at the major league level and presumably you know through the course of the offseason what we saw this spring they've collectively improved and to go into this year with that type of foundation is something that I think we should all be really excited about as fans of of this organization. Where do you think the team improved the most in the offseason and why? I I think you know a a few things we we really liked our depth we really like our young players and, and what we have on hand but I think acquiring Mike Zanino and really shoring up the catching position for us was was a big deal. And that's not to knock anything on Mikey Perez and you know what we saw out of him upon acquiring him last year. But uh, Z is somebody that is uh, an experienced, accomplished major league backstop uh, that comes with a tremendous reputation for his knowledge and ability to navigate pitchers through a game and a, the season in total. So uh, that's something we feel like we've really solidified and. You know, compared to where we were at the end of the season, you know, not to take anything away from Wilson Ramos and, and what we saw out of him prior, and you know Charlie Morton just giving us another front of the rotation quality arm was was something that I think ideally will allow uh, our pitching plans in total to go and to to thrive and to balance the workloads the way we we think and get us you know to get the most out of everybody. The signing of. Charlie obviously was followed later in the spring by extensions for two young players, Blake Snell and Brandon Lau. How important are those in the big picture, and are they harder or easier to do now than, let's say, they were five or or seven or eight years ago when the Rays used to do this a a lot? Each situation with respect to these deals are they're unique and they're very personal, you know, in terms of the decisions themselves and the factors around them. I'd say. Certainly, I think easier this off season than maybe a year ago, where our, the direction of our club and and what the future looked like was not quite as clear as it is today. Uh, I think now we have players that are excited about the future and the quality of the team and the chance for it to be a sustained run of success here. And uh, I think there's a little added motivation on their part to be a part of this. And uh, these deals have to come together through mutual interest and commitment. And, you know, we were fortunate to have a couple of guys where we were able to find that overlap this year and, um, you know, want to continue to do everything we can to, <laughs> you know, to, to create those opportunities for both sides. So compared to how things were five years ago, ten years ago, less, less sure, just really excited that we have a group of guys here that are excited about being here and believe in our future. What's the greatest strength now of this team as we're in the first week of the season? I think the the quality of our talent runs deep. Uh, it's not a particularly top-heavy roster. We do have some high-end, high-end caliber talent. You know, Blake won the Cy Young last year. It doesn't get <laughs> much much higher than that. But this is a roster that is relatively young and, and experienced uh, in a sense. And with that. While we're optimistic about the group, does come uncertainty, and we feel like we've countered that with 
a really good assortment of depth and and also positional flexibility that allows us not only to accommodate unforeseen injuries, which are inevitable, but also the unforeseen uh, performance outputs, both good and bad, <laughs> you know, that inevitably come with young players as they're transitioning the big leagues. So I think we are really well set up, both from a you know just we have the talent on hand to compete, but also you know to be accommodating and flexible to. Uh, the unforeseen circumstances that come just through the course of a major league season. With those, what would be your greatest concern heading into this season as you look at the overall makeup of the roster, the 40-man, the depth? The track, the collective track record of our group is less than certainly a couple of teams in our division that we are chasing so based on 2018 records and, and players returning. So uh, with a, a, a lack of track record so to speak not across the board but I think collectively uh, on average the track record of the players that are breaking camp with us uh, fall below the experiences of the teams that we want to attempt to pass in our division this year Uh, with that there's a lot of with the unknown because is excitement there's potential and and that's a good thing but also with it comes the chance for (laughs) things to to not go exactly as hope as you know the the game of baseball and the history of baseball is littered with examples of of players that don't develop and take off exactly the way you know you, you think they will. You could look at Blake as an example of that and uh, his journey through his first few major league seasons. So I think the the, you know, the biggest concern is just relying so much on a on a roster that is not you know tried and true and proven over the course of several seasons uh, is something that is some sort of concern. But again, I think the we believe in the talent and we believe in the depth and think we're well set up to to counter that by the number of options that we have on hand seems like you have more depth in position players than pitchers is that fair and at this point because it's rare that you guys have been in that situation do you have more of a concern on the run prevention side or the run scoring side then it's a great question i i think it's possible but you know with Honeywell and and his progression through his rehab you know, going well and being in a position uh, for him to be activated sometime in the middle third of the season. Uh, Daily own, you know, unfortunately we had a few guys that got set aside for for last year and they're making their way back. That certainly helps. You know, McKay's ascension through um, uh, our minor league system has been positive. Seeing him in a spring game uh, and what he did against a really good lineup uh, with Atlanta there uh, was certainly encouraging. So. Uh, we have guys that, you know, Jalen Beeks, who we acquired last summer, uh, we have guys that we believe in, you know, that are scattered across the upper levels or returning from injury. I, I think we feel good about where we are, but you can never have enough pitching, and uh, we would gladly welcome all of those guys taking sizable steps forward in 2019. And that is Ray, Senior Vice President and GM Eric Neander, and we certainly appreciate how candid his responses were in terms of his expectations for this year you know earlier on the program we talked about the left field ledge you can be one of the first to experience the brand new left field ledge that new seating area includes complimentary snacks and drinks and is available through season tickets and groups you can go to raisebaseball.com slash left field ledge for more information on this brand new seating section and raise up I want to thank all of the guests on our program today starting with senior vp and gm eric neander who you just heard from also thanks to reigning cy young award winner blake snell Thanks to Dave and Andy from our broadcast team. You'll hear them at the top of the hour, as well as Fox Sports Suns' Brian Anderson for being part of our roundtable discussion that we do each month. Thanks also to Todd Callis, of course, longtime Rays broadcaster and now the lead voice on TV for the Houston Astros. And also thanks to Rays VP Bill Walsh. Hey, the Republic Bank Draft Room blends hospitality and comfort while also offering local craft beers and signature food items. Tropicana Field's premier destination area exclusively for race season ticket holders is the Republic Bank Draft Room. All you have to do is call 888-FAN-RAISE for more information. If you ever want to hear anything on the program, all you have to do is tweet me. You can tweet me at Neil Solons or also do so at Rays Radio. Next week, we'll include a sit-down with Brandon Lau, of course, signing a big extension in spring training, plus a closer look at the Tampa Bay bullpen with Coach Stan Borowski. I want to thank all our producers on the show, Jason Berenger, Derek DeBose, Tom Ponzo, and Rachel West on site, as well as Chris Miller for his help. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned for the pregame show, and thanks for being with us. This is the Rays Baseball Network.